0: begin by saying good morning again and welcome now not only to those of you who are here in our traditional sanctuary, but welcome also especially now to those of you who are joining us in our contemporary service and online and via broadcast. We're really glad that you're here. I'm glad that we have this opportunity to be connected together, learning from God's Word together and growing together as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a, a young Christian, a young guy even growing up, and I remember the one there was one thing I really hated to hear about in church. I didn't want to hear anybody talk about it. It was awkward and uncomfortable for me no matter when anybody talked about it. It was money talking about money in church. And I don't honestly know exactly why that was so hard for me. I was a teenager. I didn't have any of it. I wasn't afraid of losing any of it. But it was awkward to me somehow. I, I grew up in the 80s, which very few people are willing to admit. But I grew up in the 80s, and I know there were a bunch of televangelists doing some dirty money scams in the 80s that got pretty famous, give me a million dollars, or God said something bad will happen. Maybe that's why it was so awkward for me. Maybe it was something in my own heart. Maybe it was the culture of the church I was a part of. I'm not sure but it was really awkward for me. It just felt like the preacher was supposed to make up something clever to get somebody else to give more. And I don't know what was supposed to happen. I don't know why I thought that was bad. Like, did the pastor get a nicer car if people gave bigger offerings or something like that? I don't know. My car is older than both my kids, so I know that's not how it works. I'm not sure what it is, but it was awkward for me. But as I've grown, I've learned that money is one of the most important things that Christians can talk together about. It's something that's very important for us to talk about together as a church family? On the one hand, because it's a huge part of all of our lives, right? I mean, I don't know if any of us can go a whole day without somehow using, spending, benefiting from, sharing, thinking about, talking about, worrying about money. It's a big, big part of our lives. And it's a big part of our lives as followers of Jesus. I mean, partly because it's a big part of our lives and our lives are integrated as followers of Jesus, But also because, I think I've come to learn by experience over the years, that money is never just about the money, right? I mean, it's always tied to something else deeper for us. It's tied to something else that we feel or believe or want or value or dream about or hope for or fear. It's always tied to this deeper stuff. I remember actually kind of a period in my life when I should have learned that lesson quicker than I was learning it. When Amy and I were first married, one of our biggest sources of stress, like most couples that get married, was money in our relationship. It became kind of a source of conflict for us, like it is for many people, which was a little frustrating, honestly, because again, we didn't have any of it, (laughs) so it's doubly frustrating to be fighting about something you don't really have. But that was kind of one of the first clues for me that we needed to realize, and When I say we in stories like this, it's code for I, right? I needed to realize, I think Amy already knew, that money was tied to deeper stuff in our lives. And one of the things it's tied to for me is security and safety and preparing for the future. Money's tied to this deeper stuff in our lives, and the sooner we realize that, the faster we'll grow, the better we'll deal with it, I think. And so I think it's really important for Christians to talk about money together, and that's why for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk to you about the role of money in the life of a Christian, the role of money in the life of a Christian community. But I know that's really awkward for people. It was always awkward for me, and maybe it's awkward for some of you. And so I just want to give you a little heads up on maybe what to expect out of these next, this week and these next two weeks. And the first thing, honestly, is Safety. This is going to be a safe place to talk about this. No one's going to put you on the spot. No one's going to hit you up or shake you down. No one's going to ask you what you earn, what you spend, what you're in debt for. It's not like that. I mean, I hope that there are some people in your life that you can talk openly about, talk openly, with, about, talk openly about this with. Sorry, that was kind of awkward. I hope there are some people in your life like that because that's important. That helps us. But in a big room like the ones that we're in right now, that's not helpful. So this will be a safe place. I hope it doesn't feel threatening or awkward for you. The other thing, this next thing I hope you can expect out of this is clarity, clarity. I mean, one thing that always really bugs me is when people are talking about something related to money, whether it's a sales environment or some kind of transaction or some sort of value, and you can just tell that they're trying really hard not to say what they really mean. You know what I mean? That always really bugs me. And so I'm going to try not to do that. I'll just try to be clear with you. I even thought for a little while about calling this series like Straight Talk About Christian Money or something like that, but I didn't think that really sounded so great. So I'll try to be very clear with you. But I also want to provide for you actually a level of clarity about something else that I don't think we've usually done the greatest job at as a church, and that is to talk about how it is that money works in our church, in our church family. Most of us put some money in the offering plate when it goes by, or maybe you give electronically or online. That's how our household, our our family does it. But I don't think a lot of us really know that much about what happens with the money that we give to God and God's work after we give it. So I'd like to share that with you a little bit in the third week of this series, two weeks from today, a little bit about how that money is handled, what it gets spent on, and what it really does in God's world. So safety, clarity, and the third thing I hope you can expect is growth, I hope you can expect some growth. I think most of us have somewhere to go. I know that I have growth steps to take in my life, and I hope that there'll be the opportunity for you to grow maybe financially smarter, hopefully wiser in your relationship with money, hopefully more fruitful and faithful as a follower of Jesus in a, in a really important area of our lives. So uh, without any more introduction, let's, let's dig in and begin to talk about what Jesus taught about money, what the Bible teaches us about, about what money is tied to kind of more deeply in our lives. The first thing I think that someone will notice when they begin to read the Bible with money on their mind, and if you're a sensitive reader, probably you'll notice this even if that's not what you're looking for. But the first thing you might notice is the Bible talks about money all the time. I mean, it's a frequent topic. It's all over the place. Just recently, as an example, in my, own, in my own personal Bible reading and in a few different groups that I'm a part of, we've been reading the book of Acts. Now, Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. The first four are the different life stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of Acts is kind of the story of the earliest Christian communities and what God continued to do in them after Jesus was crucified and raised again from the dead and then ascended to heaven to sit at God's right hand to rule over the earth. Then the book of Acts is a story of what God continued to do in the communities of those early followers of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, like right at the beginning of the book almost, there's a description there of the the characteristic features of the life of the Christian community. And said that they prayed together and that they ate together and they worshiped together and they listened to the teaching of the apostles, the, the people who had been with Jesus and shared his words. And the other thing they did was they shared their own financial resources with one another. I mean, those things were kind of on a level with one another. They were the defining characteristics of the Christian community. And then just a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, it says they were sharing with one another in such a way that there were no longer any needy persons among them. Now, I think that's pretty staggering for one thing, but it's also something you have to understand correctly because it doesn't say there were no longer any poor persons among them. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think probably most of them were poor, but yet they weren't in need. How how does that happen? That's because they shared with one another. When someone was in need of something to eat, clothes to wear, a place to live, they took care of one another. It says in Acts chapter four, very often, if somebody needed something and somebody else had something, well, they might even sell it, maybe even property, so they could share with someone who was in need. And it says that Barnabas, who was one of the most important leaders in the early church, that he was an example of somebody who did that. And then in Acts chapter five, There's a kind of scary story, the story of a a man named Ananias and a woman named Sapphira. They're a married couple, and they tried to manipulate this process. They saw that there was somebody who was in need, and they apparently were people who had plenty, so they sold off a little something, and they got some money from it, and they brought it to the apostles. That was how they did it. they bring it to the leaders and say, would you distribute this to those who are in need? But they only brought a fraction of it, and the apostles, the apostolic leaders said, was that everything? They said, yep, that was the full price. They lied about that. And then it was Ananias first, then Sapphira came in and told the same lie, and they died. They died for lying to God about not caring or caring about their brothers and sisters in the family of God and not sharing their resources in that way. It was a big, big deal for those those early, early Christians. Jesus himself had taught his first disciples about money quite frequently. It's kind of hard to count, like, how many times did Jesus teach about this or that because he's usually teaching about more than one thing at a time. But some people like to count this and they say that Jesus teaches more about money than he does about faith and prayer put together. But I think that's a little bit misleading because oftentimes when Jesus is teaching about money, he's also teaching about faith. But he teaches about it all the time. One time there's a real famous example of Jesus sitting near the temple treasury, basically like the offering box at the temple in Jerusalem in the first century. And his disciples are there with him. And they see that there was a, a poor widow who had very little resources came by. And she put in these two small coins. It was all she had. It was a hugely sacrificial gift for her. And then after her, some other people came by who had a lot more. They're much wealthier people. They came in and made much bigger gifts. Gifts that would probably accomplish a lot more, do more things for the temple and the work of God's people. And Jesus turned to his disciples who had seen this. And he said, she gave way more than they did even though mathematically that was not true. He was introducing to them the new math of generosity. He said those big gifts cost them nothing. But that smaller gift, that cost her everything. It was a bigger gift. But one thing that I recently learned from the story that I honestly had never noticed before, and somebody pointed it out to me recently, is that Jesus and his disciples not only saw this, but the story says that Jesus was watching this. It wasn't like an accident that he happened to see, but let me read you one verse out of that story. It's from Mark chapter 12. This is Mark 12, verse 41. It says there that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Isn't that kind of awkward to do, wouldn't you think? Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Okay, so it's a very common biblical teaching. It's all over the life of the early church. Jesus taught about it all the time. It was frequent in the words of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus watched what people were putting in the offering. Why? I mean, what makes that such a big deal? Well, I think there's one parable in particular, maybe more, but one in particular that Jesus told that I think really illustrates, the kind of reveals why this is such a big deal to him and such a big deal in our lives. And I think it might be the shortest parable Jesus ever told. It's in one verse, and I'm just going to read it to you here. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and this is what Jesus said as he was teaching. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, to to understand this parable at all, it it helps to know the context that the kingdom of heaven, or another term for that is the kingdom of God, there are two terms that mean the same thing in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, this was Jesus' message. I mean, this is what he came teaching about. This is what he came declaring. He told people the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of heaven is arriving. And what that means is it's it's God's renewed rule over his world. God is coming to rule a grace. And in power. God is coming to bring healing to our bodies, to our hearts, to our relationships. God is coming to bring His grace and forgiveness. God is coming to reestablish justice among peoples. God is coming to renew, to reassert His rule over a creation that has gotten badly off the tracks. And this is good news. The Maker who made the world good is coming to remake it again. And Jesus would say, He's doing it in me. So come follow me. You're invited. And He invited people into the kingdom of God. And Jesus had to, he told so many parables and so many teachings about what is the kingdom of God. And this parable is one of those. He said, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. I was trying to think about why this, what this parable was saying. And last night, my family and I were driving back from making a visit to a family member's cabin. Our brother in law, Amy's brother, has a, his family has a cabin a little bit northeast of here. And we went and spent about 24 hours there. On the way back, when you guys drive up north, if you ever go up 35 or 94 or any of the highways that go north, You ever notice how there's a lot of realty signs up there? I mean, there's a lot of lake cabins for sale. There's a lot of hunting land for sale. And when you're driving up and driving back, it's kind of when you're dreaming about that kind of stuff, right? So lots of signs for that. And I was thinking, what if Jesus had told this parable about the guy who found the treasure in the field and Jesus was a Minnesotan, right? What, what, What about then? I was thinking, there was a man once who went up north and he was dreaming about some hunting land. 200 acres. It was a little more than he could afford, but he dreamed about it for a long time. And as he was driving back down from Duluth one day, he decided to stop off and walk around the property that he was so interested in. And as he walked around the property and dreamed and hoped someday he could afford this, but right now he had too many other obligations, he just kind of walked the land. And as he walked, he tripped over something. He stumbled and looked down at the ground and there was the, the corner what looked like the corner of a box sticking out of the ground and so he kind of got down with his hands and scraped it around a little bit and indeed it was a box buried there in the field or in the land and so he got down and he pushed away it wasn't too big he was able to clear it and bring it up and he opened the box and right there in that box in the middle of this hunting land up north was the hope diamond i mean really this really happened do you believe that it really happened You know, the kingdom of God is so good, it should be a little bit hard to believe, shouldn't it? And he looked down at the hope diamond in the box, and the certificate of authenticity was right there with it in the box. And he looked, and he began to dream, and then he looked around. Is anybody else here? And nobody else was there. So he thought about it for a second, and then he closed the box, and he put it back where he found it, and he put the dirt back together that he had scraped up, and he put the leaves back together to cover the box, and walked real calm and cool back to his truck and then raced 95 miles per hour all the way back down to the cities, and called his realtor and said, buy, buy now, full price offer, make them a godfather offer, a deal they can't refuse. We want to buy this land. And then he started selling stuff, anything he could find to raise money to buy this property. I don't know if you guys ever heard Dave Ramsey. He's the guy who teaches Financial Peace University. He said, if you're ever like in debt or you need to raise money for an emergency fund, sell stuff, sell anything you can find in the house, sell stuff until the kids get nervous, they're next. Just sell stuff. So this guy sold everything. He sold his house, sold his car, sold his old Harley, sold his baseball collection and managed to raise enough money to buy that hunting land and it was so worth it, he bought it. He bought that property. If that ever really happened, and of course that's not exactly gonna happen, but if that ever really happened, the money that that guy raised to buy that property would do two things in addition to buying the property. The first thing it would do is that it would reveal this guy's attachment to that property. It would reveal where his heart was in relation to that treasure. And it was pretty set on that treasure, wasn't it? He was willing to sacrifice anything for it. And once he got that, it's like he'd get everything back again. It was worth it. It would reveal his attachment or devotion to the property. But the other thing I think is a little more subtle. Do you know what else it would do? The money would strengthen his attachment to that property. It would strengthen his devotion to it because now he was invested in it. Before, it was a great piece of property and it had something really valuable in it that was not really his. But now he had skin in the game. He had sacrificed everything else and put all his devotion here. It would reveal his attachment to the property and it would strengthen his attachment to that property. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's it's worth everything. It is everything. It's worth anything. It is the experience of the grace of God to wash over our hearts that are sick with guilt and shame. It's the experience of grace. It's the experience and power of God's hope to bring the, the hope of God's redeeming, life-giving power into lives that feel like they're at a dead end, to a world, to societies, to problems that feel like they're a dead end. It's the new power of God to create new life. It's the healing of God in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in our communities. It's the gift of life. It's the gift of life that conquers death. Jesus said, if you, anyone who believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live This is the announcement the kingdom of God is coming to give life that conquers the grave, that begins now in the presence of God and gives us the gift of eternal life. I mean, that's a treasure. And maybe the greatest treasure of the kingdom of God is that you weren't the first one to go looking for treasure. But you know who really embodies the story before any of us ever did? Jesus himself. It's almost an autobiographical story that Jesus told that you, And God's world means so much to God that Jesus would leave behind heaven to come here and seek you, to sacrifice everything for you, to buy you at the cost of his own life. And you were worth it to him. And the miraculous logic of the kingdom of God is when Jesus has treasured you and purchased you and brought you to himself, we get to respond with the same kind of devotion and value to him. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that and it's worth it. It's worth it. And that's why Jesus taught so much about these kinds of things. Because on the one hand, it reveals something. What we do with our secondary treasures reveals how we are devoted and attached to our primary treasures. And it's important to know those things. It's important for the truth in our lives to be revealed to us so we can deal with the truth about our lives. So Jesus teaches about it in a diagnostic kind of way, in a revealing kind of way. But he also teaches about this because then it also has the opportunity to strengthen our attachment to the kingdom of God. It has the opportunity not only to reveal our hearts, but to help our hearts take steps forward to move our hearts. It's kind of a a circle, kind of a feedback loop. I think most of us are familiar with the dynamic that what happens inside of us, what's going on inside of our hearts and minds, that what goes on inside of us drives and creates what's happening on the outside of us. I think we get that, and that's a very important lesson that Jesus taught and put in a primary place of his teaching. And so when we grasp and are grasped by the beauty and power of the kingdom of God, I mean it changes us when we know what Jesus has done in our lives and the great gift that he's given us, it it just opens us up and it creates generosity in our lives. That's what happened with those early, early Christian communities in the book of Acts. They said, this is what God is doing. We're on board. Is my brother or sister in the family of God in need? Let me help. Get out of my way. I want to help however I can. It creates this generosity in us. But it doesn't only affect the way that we give and share. I think it affects all the ways that we use money. It affects the way that we earn money and spend money. I was once in a job years ago when I was in graduate school, and it was kind of a summer job. I needed some income before the school year started again. I could start doing some teaching and some TAing. So I went and I found a job that looked pretty lucrative. It was going to do fairly well for me. But then I wound up understanding once I'd been in for a few days that what it required of me was to scam people. I kind of had to be dishonest with folks. And I realized that that's what it took the first time that I did it and realized I was going to be good at it. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is a problem. And I had to go to my boss right away and say, I'm sorry, you've been really kind to me, but I can't do this anymore and hand my supplies back and just had to be done. I'll tell you, that was hard for me. Because one of the deep things that money is attached to for me is security and safety. And so to quit one job before I knew what I was going to be next, that was a challenge. That was a challenge for me. But when the power of the kingdom of God grasps you, it changes the way that you share and give. It also changes the way that you earn. And it might change the way that you spend. Could change your spending level. Could say maybe I don't need to spend so much on myself. Maybe I need to spend at a higher level or a lower level. Maybe it doesn't change how much you spend. Maybe it changes what you spend or where you spend it or what sort of economic systems you're a part of. It's probably different for different people. But when the kingdom of God grasps you, it starts to change the way that we relate to our money. It changes all these things for us. But then what happens on the inside not only drives what happens on the outside. But what happens on the outside has power to reshape what's happening on the inside. When, God, when you are grasped by the power of the kingdom of God and then you feel prompted to share with somebody, you think, oh, I'll make a generous gift, but then you go, oh, if I do that, then I won't be able to afford this other thing that I wanted, and then I won't have as much for myself, and you, you shrink back from that, oh, that kind of changes what's going on in your heart also. It, it dulls your sensitivity toward the needs of others in the same way it can work positively, God puts it on your heart to share with somebody or to make a decision in an earning or spending kind of way, and you say yes to that. It helps you go closer to the kingdom of God. I wonder what would have happened in my heart if I had stayed with that job for the whole summer and continued to deceive people and make a fair bit of money that summer. What would have happened in my heart? I think I would have grown farther from God instead of closer. When we are generous with our resources and share with people who are in need, it helps us grow closer to God because we value what God values. It's a loop. It's a circle. What God has done inside of us changes what happens outside of us, reinfluences influences what happens inside of us, drives what happens outside of us, reinforces what happens inside of us, and it's a circle. And I think that's why Jesus was so concerned about this, why he taught about this all the time, because he wanted to know and wanted us to know for ourselves, where are we, what's our relationship to him, and what's our citizenship in the kingdom of God? But not only from a way of revealing the truth, but for strengthening the good but for helping us take steps forward in the kingdom of God. So to close today, let me just ask you to think about this. I promise this will be a safe place, and it will, but you don't have to answer any of these questions out loud or to anybody else. But let me ask you to think about this. Reflect on this. Pray about it during the week. What do you think the way that you use money reveals about what's important to you? What do you think about the way that you earn or spend or share reveals about your values, reveals about your devotion or attachment to the kingdom of God. This can be a hard thing to ask. It can be a hard thing to ask. But the flip side of that question is also to ask, what is my use of money, what is my relationship with money doing to me? What's, not only where am I right now, but how am I getting there? What's that strengthening in me? I brought along just a little image. But maybe it helps you. This kind of image helps me. There's a little map image up here on the screen and says, you are here. You know, if you ever go to like a state park or a mall, which is much easier for me to get lost in the mall than a park, but either way, you can get lost. And it's helpful to have a map and says, you are here. The beginning of any journey begin is, is knowing where you are. So the questions I'm asking you are just a way of asking that kind of diagnostic question. Where are you? But then as you begin to reflect on that, pray about that, think about that, There is one other question that I think you'll naturally be driven to, and that's this. Are you satisfied with that? Are are you where you want to be? Is that the right location for you? If you are, don't do anything different. Just keep doing exactly what you're doing. But if you think there's growth for you, and I'll be perfectly transparent with you, I know there's growth for me. Part of what's happened for me in preparing for this series and studying the Bible and praying about this and getting ready for today in the next couple weeks is that I think God's been nudging my heart toward growth in this, trying to prick open some things and saying, Steve, I see what you're valuing. I see what you're devoted to. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put the kingdom of God first. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe there's room for growth in your life also. I think most of us have the opportunity not only to get smarter in our, mon- in our money decisions, and that's a good thing, but more important even than that, to get wiser in our relationship with money, to grow more faithful and more fruitful in managing the resources that God has entrusted to us. So this week, this is your homework assignment. This is all, this is the response for this week. Pray about that question. Stay with this. If you have room to grow, then stay with this and pray about this. Ask God to help you understand where you are this week. And then next, we get together, we're gonna talk about what's the role of God's spirit? What's the role of God in leading us forward and helping us find the direction that we go from where we are? Let's close this time of reflection on God's word and prayer. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for all that you have given us. God, thank you that you have treasured your people, that you have treasured each of us and all of us, and you came to find us, God, even when we were kind of lost in the field, feeling half buried and uncared for. You saw the value in every heart, Lord God, and thank you for it. And God, I pray that your spirit would so work in our hearts that we would understand even a fraction of your love, that you would help us to understand the treasure that we are to you. And God, I pray then that by your spirit you would grow in us a devotion to you, to recognize the treasure of who you are and what you've done in our lives and the treasure of your coming kingdom in our world and the hearts and lives of others and in all your people and all your world. And I pray you'd speak truth to us this week, God. Give us spiritual insight to see the truth about ourselves. And then give us courage, energy, inspiration, hope, and strength to walk forward as you lead. God, we live and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.